Good morning, church. Um, the verse today is John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Again, that is John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. May God bless the reading of his word. Will you pray with me as we look to the Lord? Heavenly Father, love is your idea. It's who you are. It's not something you created. It's just something that is you your character, your quality, and you've shared that quality of who you are with us so that we too can experience love, both as something we receive and something we give. Lord, we're grateful for your infinite love for us, your eternal love, and we pray that we would experience it even more today, having been here with you and with others who, who love you and want to receive your love. Lord, in this Christmas season, we are especially mindful of what you've done for us to show your love to us by sending the Lord Jesus Christ, and we say thank you. And Lord, we pray for our loved ones, our family members, our friends who are away this Christmas season. Some are deployed, some are away with business or school, some are ill. Wherever they might be, we pray that they would be overwhelmed by your love and know of our love for them, even while we're separated geographically. Lord, I would ask for the love of the Holy Spirit to work through me as I share your word, that you would speak to us through me and through your word this morning. Through the loving name of Jesus, we ask all these things. Amen. Back when I was a young pastor in my 30s, I was pastoring out in Hawaii Kai, and one time after the the service, a young gal from the church came up to me, and she was a, a very attractive hoppa gal, shy, hadn't talked much to me, and single gal, and she came up to me, and um, a little bit nervous, and, and looked me in the eyes, and she said, will you marry me? I was surprised by this. We hadn't had much of a conversation together, but she was rather attractive. She loved the Lord, and I'm thinking, I should say Yes. <laughs> Right then, a young man came up next to her, and she said, oh, here's my fiancé visiting from another church. Will you marry us? (laughs) And I'm thinking, oh, marry you as in perform the ceremony, not marry you as in be your husband. And I'm thinking, I hoped I said that in that silent voice in my head that nobody else can hear. (laughs) Ah... I married her, and they lived happily ever after. (laughs) I don't know how many weddings I've done. I I probably have married two or three hundred people. And by married, I mean performed the ceremony. (laughs) Even yesterday morning, we had a beautiful ceremony on the beach and uh, did a ceremony for, for Peggy Henry's daughter, Cherish. She had had a ceremony already in... South Dakota, but who wants to go to South Dakota? So we, we did the ceremony again on the beach in Lanikai at, at sunrise. What a beautiful thanks. And when I'm going to do a wedding for couples and I have them come in for premarital counseling, one of the first questions I ask them is, 
why do you want to get married? It just seems like a good question to ask. And you would guess what they say. They don't say, well, we think it's financial, financially better if we're married, you know. <laughs> no, they say, because what? We love each other. We're in love. We're in love. Of course, that's what they say. And that's a good reason, but it's not a great reason. Because often what they mean by that is, the other pe- person makes me feel special, makes me feel good. And the danger is when those feelings waver with the hardship of life, they might forget their vows. And I remind couples, just like I did yesterday morning, I said, you know, when you do the vows, the response is, I do. It's not, I feel. Because there are going to be times when you feel like loving each other and times that you don't really feel like loving each other. Your beautiful bride isn't always going to look exactly like this. She's going to get the flu. (laughs) She's going to get sick. (laughs) And she's not going to be as attractive. And the feelings may come and go. And that's why you say, for better, for worse. Because sometimes things get worse. You say richer or poorer because sometimes you don't have as much money as you want. You say in sickness and in health because you want to be healthy, but you're not always going to be healthy. To love and to cherish until the feelings are gone. No, until death do us part because feelings come and go. But love is more than a feeling. It's a commitment. It's a promise. By the way, we want to congratulate Pastor Josh and Taylor for 18 years of marriage that they just celebrated last week. So, <clears throat> And I know they've always felt like staying married together, but <laughs> they've made a vow. Well, today is the, the fourth Sunday of Advent. We're going to talk about love, but before we do that, let's review where we've been. We talked about hope the first Sunday of Advent, and we saw that hope requires waiting. You have to wait for that hope to be fulfilled. We saw that hope also requires a risk because you're risking whether that hope will be fulfilled or not. You don't really know how it's going to go. There's a risk. When you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, if you believe in me when you die, you'll go to heaven, that's a risk. What, what if it's not true? <laughs> Plus, you also have to wait. And we also saw that hope always ends. It ends. Hope isn't eternal. You can hope in something that's eternal, but hope isn't eternal. It ends either when it's lost or, better yet, when it's fulfilled. And Jesus came to give us hope so that it would be fulfilled. He wants to fulfill all our godly hopes and dreams, and He's coming back to help us fulfill all those hopes. That's something to look forward to. And then we talked about peace. And we saw that Jesus is not a peacekeeper, he's a peacemaker. A peacekeeper that just says, oh, you know, separates people and doesn't really resolve anything. They just don't like conflict. Just be quiet, don't tell me. I don't want to hear it. But Jesus is a peacemaker. He fixes the problem. He forgives the sin. He makes it so we have peace with God by taking away our sin. And then last week we talked about joy and we learned something that I had to unlearn. We talked about joy, and I had been taught that joy is a positive mental attitude. 
You don't have to be happy what's going on. You just have to be joyous. <laughs> I have a good mental attitude about this. Well, that's not true because joy, if you look up in any dictionary, is a synonym for happiness. And God wants us happy. And if you look up the definition of joy, it talks about ecstatic happiness, intensive pleasure. Well, who here, don't raise your hand, does not want intensive pleasure or ecstatic happiness? And when we sing joy to the world, we're not singing, have a good mental attitude, world. We're singing, don't worry, be happy. And now we come to today's theme, which is love. I've heard a lot of things about love. Um, the rock group from the 80s, Boston, tells us that love is more than a feeling. Do you know that song? And I think they're right. But we have a higher authority than that great rock group, Boston. We have God's written word, which is inerrant and infallible, divinely inspired, word for word, written revelation to tell us what love is. So I thought today we could look at the 484 times in Scripture where the word love is used. No, (laughs) it's used 484 times, but who wants to read all those? So I thought better than read all of those, maybe we could find out where the word love is first mentioned in Scripture. You see, um, Bible expositors tell us that if you want to understand how a word or concept in the Bible might be used throughout the Bible, there's a principle. Look where it's first mentioned, and that might give you a clue. So I thought, well, where's the word first mentioned, the word love? And I was thinking, well, it's got to be in the beginning, you know, Genesis 1 and 2. God creates the world. He makes this gorgeous world, and he looks at it, and he doesn't say, I love it. Have you ever made something, and it's like beautiful, and it's wonderful? You go, I just love this. He doesn't. He goes, that's good. Really, it's good? That's all you have to say about this perfect, wonderful world? It's good. I mean, look at it. That's what he says. He doesn't go, I love it. I go, okay, I know where the first time it is. It's got to be Adam and Eve. It's got to be Adam. The first husband gets the first wife, and he's looking at, been looking at a bunch of animals, naming them. You know, and animals are, you know, maybe some are beautiful, some are kind of weird, and he's naming all the animals. And then he goes to sleep, and he wakes up, and there's this gorgeous, the most beautiful woman in the world <laughs> next to him. He wakes up, and she's naked, clothed only in innocence, and he wakes up and goes, he doesn't say I love you. Okay, maybe he did, but it's not recorded, but I thought, wouldn't that be a great place, the first husband, the first one, I love you, I love you, there's no one else in the world for me, you know? But But that doesn't happen. And so I kind of flipped through verses, and I thought, How about the story of Noah? You know the story of Noah. Sometimes I wonder why we tell these stories to kids. Hey, kids, the whole world's going to be destroyed. All your neighbors, all your friends, it's going to be a worldwide flood. Everybody dies, you know, except Noah, who's a righteous man, and his seven relatives get saved too because he's righteous. So the whole world is, is destroyed in a deluge, and you would think on the boat, his three sons or three daughters-in-law, his wife, go, we love you so much. We're all saved because of you. You're the best. You're our hero. I read through the story a few times. Never saw the word love there. Maybe they said it, but it wasn't recorded. Did you know the first time the word love is recorded in Scripture is, isn't until man has been on the earth for two millennia? 2,000 years. That's a long time to wait for someone to say, I love you. 
Now, that doesn't mean they never said it, but it's not recorded. And the first time it's recorded, it's referring to the love of a father for his son. A father for a son. And the first person to speak the word love, recorded in Scripture, is our Heavenly Father, God. It's in Genesis chapter 22, if you want to look at it in your Bibles or on your phones, turn the page or flick or whatever you do to get there. It says this, and it's a story of a man by the name of Abraham. He was raised in a pagan culture where Worship the sun and the moon and and weird things like that. God called him to worship him. And God wanted Abraham to love God above everything. And so God tests Abraham and says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and Abraham said, Here I am. I always think that's funny. (laughs) Here I am as if God didn't know where he was. (laughs) Oh, there you are. And God says to him, and says something very strange, take now your son, your only son, whom you love. That's the first occurrence of the word love in the Bible. Your son, whom you love. You remember Abraham was like 100 years old, literally, and his wife was 90 years old when they had the miraculous birth of this son, their first son together. Take this son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I tell you. Now, if you've been in the church a long time, you've heard that story over and over again. It sounds almost normal. It's bizarre. God asking him to sacrifice his son. Now, Abraham came from a pagan culture. Child sacrifice was not probably totally foreign to him. It's abhorrent. God wasn't really going to make him kill his son. God wasn't going to do that. But he wanted to test Abraham's love, not just for his son, but for God. He wanted to make sure that Abraham loved God without any restrictions because God was going to bless Abraham more than anyone he had ever blessed. He said, you're going to be the father of my chosen people, the Jews. You're the first Jew, and you're going to be the spiritual father of every person who believes in me, every Christian, every Jew. You're going to be their father. And the Bible tells us that Abraham and Isaac, that story of Isaac being willing to sacrifice his son, and if you don't know the story, he didn't sacrifice his son, okay, (laughs) just so you know. God stopped him. He just wanted to test his love. But we're told that that is a type, it's a picture of God's love for you and me, willing to give his son, his only son, Jesus Christ. The only difference is God the Father allowed his son to be sacrificed for your sins and for mine. And you know the verse, but I'd like to read it to you as if you're hearing it for the first time in the New Testament. John 3.16 is the counterpart to the story of Abraham and Isaac. It's the fulfillment of that story. And it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. That's you and me. How much does God love you? He loved us so much that he gave. And what did he give? His only son. Just like Abraham was supposed to give his only son, Jesus gave his only son. That's Jesus Christ. 
that whoever, that's you, that's me, believes in him should not perish but have life eternal. Three things you want to learn about love today. Some of you have an outline there you can fill out. The rest of you can just memorize this and practice it. It's not that hard. I think God wants us to know, first and foremost, that love gives. That love gives. The first time we see it in the Old Testament, love had to give. When we see it here in the New Testament, and it's describing God's love for you, love gives. You see, God didn't create us to get anything from us. God doesn't need us. He doesn't need our praise. He doesn't need our service. He doesn't need your money. You go, great, now you tell me after they took the offering. (laughs) We need it. God doesn't need it. God has no needs. So when God created, he didn't create to get something. He created to give. He created us so he could love us and pour out his love on us. Romans 5 5 tells us that God has poured out his love into our hearts so we can experience it. John John 3.16 says, So God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Love gives. And Christmas is a season of giving. Why? Because at that first Christmas when Jesus was born, he was a gift that God was giving to us. Christmas is about giving. And God demonstrated his own love toward us. How? That while we still hated him, while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. God loves us so much that he gave. And God's gift of Jesus, Jesus' birth that we celebrate now, can't be separated from his death. They're a package deal. Love gives. There's a second thing we learn about love. Love is selfless. Selfless. Not selfish, but selfless. God tested Abraham to make sure that he loved God more than anything else. That his love was selfless. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about what he was get, would get. You know, when... We are immature at Christmas. Christmas is about what we get. The kids, they're excited about what they're going to get. And as we mature, if we mature emotionally as well as physically, Christmas becomes not about what we get, but about what we give. We're more excited about what we're giving to other people, how they're going to be pleased by what we give. We're excited about the giving to others. When we're immature, we're excited about the getting. When people first become Christians, they discover that God gives them a lot of things. They pray for something, and boom, there it happens. They go, I prayed for a healing, and that person was healed. I prayed for this money, and it came. I prayed for this. Well, that's because you're an immature Christian, and, and you're in the getting phase. But as you mature as a Christian, you might discover you pray for something and the answer is no. And if you're immature, you go, God doesn't love me anymore. He said no. (laughs) No, because as you mature as a believer, it becomes not about what you get, it's what you give. And you say, I love God no matter what he gives me. I love God no matter what happens or how I feel. I love God. That's maturity, because true love is selfless. It's, it's not about 
us. The reason couples fall out of love is because, I heard someone put it this way, they love each other like chocolate cake. Have you heard that one? If you say, I love chocolate cake, what does that mean? Well, that doesn't mean you want what's best for the chocolate cake. It means you like the way that chocolate cake makes you feel when you are intimate with chocolate cake. (laughs) When you become one with chocolate cake, you feel good. And when you say, I love chocolate cake, you're talking about how it makes you feel. And when couples get together and it's all about how they feel, well, they're loving each other like chocolate cake, and, and when you eat too much cake and you don't like cake anymore and whatever, you say, I'm not in love. But when you love selflessly, not about what you can get, but what you can give, you can find that that love lasts a lifetime. We're told in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, that love does not seek its own. Does not seek its own. It's selfless. On one occasion, I was meeting with a, a young groom and the bride. And I asked, why do you want to get married? And the groom said, because I want to make her happy. I go, I like that. That's a better answer than I want her to make me happy. He wanted to make her happy. It was selfless. Okay, there's going to be a test. Love gives. Number two, love is selfless. There's going to be a third one, then I'm going to ask you all three. Inherent in these first two definitions of love or examples of love, that love gives and love is selfless, inherent in that is our third point, but I don't want to assume that you just picked it up, so I'm going to tell you. I'm going to speak it out. Love sacrifices. Love sacrifices. You see, Abraham's example of love literally was a sacrifice. And God wants us to know that when you truly love someone, you sacrifice for them. And God loves you, so He sacrificed for you. He offered the Lord Jesus Christ. And I say this reverentially and delicately, but the baby Jesus was a human sacrifice. Literally. He was born so He could grow up and die for your sins and mine. Now, for those who don't know the end of the story, he didn't stay dead. <laughs> he rose from the grave. He erased our sins. He offers a hope that will be fulfilled. But he had to be sacrificed to make it happen. You can measure your love for your friend easily. How much will you sacrifice for them? Oh, I know. I can't, I can't take you to the airport. I'm busy. <laughs> I just I really just don't want to take him to the airport. And pick them up again. Because, you know, they're leaving at midnight. Or they're coming in at six. Well, okay, don't take them. But that measures your love. How much you will sacrifice. Whether it's time. Whether it's money. It's the same thing with a spouse or a child. It's the same thing with your relationship to Jesus. How much you'll sacrifice is a measure of how much you love. And Christmas is... God's way of showing you how much He loves you and how much He's willing to sacrifice. He was willing to have His Son be born so He could die, so He can sacrifice, so He could show and demonstrate that He loves you. 
Love, number one, gives. Love is? And love? Sacrificial. Now, if you have an outline there, and even if you don't, there's a little space before each one so you could write in the word my and make it personal. My love gives. My love is selfless. My love is sacrificial. Those of you who have attended the church for a while know that my oldest sister, Tulane, Suzanne, Morazic, Alexander Smart, we call her Tally for short, <laughs> um, she's 10 years older than me because my mom was widowed and remarried, and, and Tally's 10 years older than me and, and helped raise me, so she says she feels like a mother to me at times, and she likes to tell me what to do. She likes that more than I do. <laughs> Tally got a, a strange autoimmune illness that doctors... They, they give it a title, which is just a list of symptoms in Greek, <laughs> post-orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. And so when I heard that, I knew what it meant just because I know Greek. It just means when you stand up, um, your heart races. <laughs> and uh, they didn't really know why. But So she was bedridden for 15 years. Um, she could stand for maybe 10 seconds, 15 seconds, and then she had to be back down again. But she couldn't just stand. She had to walk. If she didn't stand, she'd pass out. Um, she couldn't talk until late in the day, and all kinds of weird symptoms. We'd been praying for 15 years. Miraculously, she got better. And she was able to now hold her grandchildren and go out with them. She got her driver's license back, started driving again. She was out for the fir- outside, everything. And I think it was a few years later, it came back. And now she's basically bedridden again. This is over a span of maybe 20 years. And her husband, I just watch him love her. And he has to do everything. He has to cook, he has to clean, he has to shop, he has to take care of the house, he has to go to work. Now he's retired, but he had to go to work, he has to take care of her, has to take her to the doctor. To get her to the doctor is really complicated, she couldn't sit in a car, she has to lay down the whole time. He'd get her to church sometimes, but that got too complicated. So then they'd have a speakerphone at the church, you know, and, and she'd let, it was just very complicated. I have never once heard him complain. Not once. And you go, yeah, but they live 4,000 miles away and you talk to him once a month. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> I'm grateful to a man who has kept his vow to my sister. For better, for worse, things got worse. And sickness and health. She went from sickness to health to sickness. But he's kept his vow because love gives. Love is selfless. And love is sacrificial. And God wants you to know that's the kind of love He has for you. And it's eternal and it's infinite and it will never end. God loves you that much. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, but still listen if you would. Have you accepted His love? He's poured it out. He just says, will you accept it? And you have to tell Him yes or no. Kind of like someone saying, will you marry me? You have to answer. 
If you've never said, yes, Lord, I want your love and I want to love you back, this is a good time to do it at Christmas. Accept this Christmas gift and say, yes, Lord, I accept your love given to me through Jesus Christ. Come into my life. Be my Savior. And he will. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your gift. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. Oh, thanks for being with us today. I'm going to just send you off with a a benediction before you leave here today. May you go here today in the love of the Father, in the grace of Jesus Christ, and in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you soon. Happy Sunday. Thank you.